This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you that we can praise your name, that we can worship you, that we can hear from your word. And so, Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Not every passage of Scripture makes a ton of sense at first glance. Take our reading from Genesis this morning. Jacob, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, wrestles with a man all night long, a man he later realizes was God himself, and apparently he was holding his own. He was able to keep up in a wrestling match with God until the man busts his hip, asks his name, gives him a blessing, and runs away. This is an odd story. It's odd in a way that makes me wonder what is going on here. Odd in a way that makes us, should make us all wonder, Lord, what are you saying here? In order to answer these questions, we're going to need to step back. We're going to need to consider how this story fits into Jacob's messy life story. So to do that, we go to the beginning. We go to Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis 25, we read a prophecy, a prophecy given to Rebekah regarding the twins that are within her womb. God tells her that the elder shall serve the younger. That it's through the younger son, Jacob, not his older brother Esau, that God has chosen to fulfill the promise given to Abraham. The promise to make a people through whom the world will be blessed. This is the Lord's decision from before the boys were born. He will bless Jacob. And yet, just like Adam and Eve Just like Abraham and Sarah, we see Rebekah and her youngest son, Jacob, struggling to trust in God's plan. We actually read in Genesis 25 that before Jacob and Esau are even born, the boys are fighting in their mother's womb. And that when they are born, Jacob comes out clinging to his brother's foot. His name literally means he who takes by the heel or he who trips another one up. And as one commentator has pointed out, this pattern that we've already seen in the story, this is the pattern of Jacob's entire life. On one hand, God is going to bless him. He intends to bless him. And on the other hand, Jacob feels a need to scheme and to seize blessing for himself. Jacob's scheming is nowhere more vicious or obvious than when he and his mother conspire together to steal Esau's blessing as the firstborn. The story centers around the boy's father, an elderly 
and a blind Isaac, who longing to put his affairs in order, knowing that death is near, asks his son Esau, his favorite son, to make him a meal and then, then he will bless him. So Esau goes off to make this meal, but Rebekah, hearing this, runs to her son Jacob and encourages him to lie and to deceive his father, to pretend as though he was Esau, to steal the blessing. And it works. Isaac, blind and unaware, blesses Jacob instead of Esau. But what's the big deal here? Couldn't Isaac just speak the same words of blessing over Esau as well? Couldn't he just say, I take that back? This one's for you? Well, in short, no. No, he could not. A blessing, as Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann points out, is understood as a world-transforming act. It assumes and affirms that spoken words shape human life. Isaac's words were not mere words. Isaac's words were life-giving, reality-redefining words. These words had the power to shape Esau or Jacob's very destiny. And Jacob knew all of this. And still, he schemed and he stole this gift. He stole this gift that could not be given back, that he could never repay. Which is why we read that Esau hated him so much that Esau planned to kill him. And at this point, we ought to be able to hear this disturbing dissonance. The dissonance of a young man who on one hand so deeply longs to be blessed, to hear words of life, and yet he goes about laying hold of that blessing by manipulating and lying and nearly destroying the relational fabric of his family. What he wants is to be blessed. What he is, is a living curse. And yet despite all of this, all of Jacob's scheming, the Lord was with him. As Jacob fled for his life to his uncle Laban, the Lord met him in a vision and let him know that he would be the one to carry on the promise of Abraham, that all the world would be blessed through him, and that he would be given a land. And you might think that such promises, such promises of blessing from God himself might temper Jacob's feeling, or Jacob's need to scheme and to take and to seize. And yet he reaches his uncle Laban, and for 20 years, 20 years, the two of them go back and forth playing this vicious, self-centered game of give and take. But the Lord is with him. And so the result of this terrible game is that Jacob actually leaves his uncle Laban to return to his home country, married to two of Laban's daughters, two of their servants, and he has 11 sons, one on the way. His wealth has grown exponentially. He has male and female servants, flocks and herds. He's returning home as a very rich man. But his return home means that he has to face his brother. He has to face Esau. And this is why we read this morning 
that he was terrified. So what does a terrified Jacob do? Well, he schemes and he prays. He sends messengers ahead to feel out the situation, only to learn that Esau is actually coming to him with an army of 400 men. Jacob is wealthy, but he has no army to protect him. So scheming Jacob sends herds and flocks ahead to Esau. He's hoping to bribe him to get on his good side. He splits up his people and his possessions in a hope that if Esau comes and attacks one group, maybe the other group can escape. Maybe not all will be lost. And then Jacob cries out to the Lord in fear. He cries out knowing that God has promised to be there for him, knowing that he needs God to show up in this moment. And finally, he sends his own wives and children ahead, hoping to evoke some form of compassion from his brother. And then he is alone. He is all alone. All that he has obtained, the family, the wealth, all that he has schemed for, he has sent ahead. His current schemes, his plans to appease his brother, to manipulate his way into Esau's good graces, they're set in motion Now he's just alone. He's left with nothing but himself until God shows up. I have to imagine that Jacob was so confused. Maybe he thought that the mystery attacker was just someone his brother had sent to kill him. Maybe it was so dark that he thought it was Esau himself who was coming to kill him. One thing is certain, Jacob thought he was fighting for his very life. He and this man struggled all night long, and when the man realized he couldn't overcome him, he hit him so hard in the hip that he knocked it out of its joint. And still, in all of that pain, Jacob clings to him, And the man yells, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This has been Jacob's longing the entire time, hasn't it? He wants to be blessed. He wants the gift of life-altering, redefining words. This is what Jacob wanted from this man. And yet before the man will bless him, he asks him, what is your name? hip out of socket, exhausted after an entire night of fighting. The schemer answers him honestly, Jacob, no more lies, no more tricks, no more pretending to be someone he's not. Here, Jacob, the heel grabber, stands exposed. And the man, in an act of grace, says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with humans and have prevailed. And then he blesses him. He, the mysterious stranger in the night, blesses him. And Jacob realizes he was not wrestling with a mere man. No, he claims, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. In the darkness of that fear-filled night, Jacob wrestled with God. And at the break of dawn, God blessed him. And this encounter left Jacob changed. At sunset, he was Jacob. 
Come sunrise, he was Israel. He walked away with a limp. He walked away blessed. The story of God blessing the world through this family, this broken and messy family, goes on. Jacob's own messy story continues on. But that is where our story for today ends. So what are we to make of this? What might God want us to see in this odd encounter? There are three points in the story, three aspects of the story, that I think it's good for us to ponder this morning. God confronts Jacob, God wounds Jacob, and God blesses Jacob. So first, he confronts him. There are a lot of ways to interpret the events of this story, and it has been interpreted in many ways throughout church history, but the interpretation I find most compelling sees this confrontation as a gift of God to Jacob. God sees him in his patterns of scheming, of taking, of manipulating in order to be blessed, and finally God is saying, enough is enough. Or as one commentator so eloquently put it, God is showing up and saying, dude, you have to stop. You have to stop, right? You have to stop trying to pursue blessings by hurting other people. You got to stop acting like you have to fight for these blessings that I want to give to you. And it can be so easy for us to be frustrated with Jacob. To look at him and all of his foolishness and all of his, and all of his scheming and all of his selfishness. But I think if we slow down, we can relate. We all long to be blessed. We all long to have the abundant life that is promised to us in Christ. And we say that we believe that God longs to bless us. We say that we understand that. And like Jacob, though, don't we feel the need to scheme, to grasp, to seize the blessings? We look to the comforts of money, to the validation of a job or a career or a title, to the affirmation of friendships, to the companionship of a spouse, to the hopeful future that a good education will bring to maybe us or our kids. And we think that if I could just lay hold of that, if I could just grab hold of that, surely I will be blessed. St. Ignatius understood this desire to look to the good gifts of God to provide the blessings that only God himself could provide. Over the past few weeks, uh, I have had the amazing, life-changing experience of getting to walk through the Ignatian exercises with some of you under the guidance of Hannah Halfhill and Brian Janizek and Jean Cohn. The past week, we have focused on Ignatius' belief that true life, the blessed life, is only to be found in praising and loving and serving God. All of the good things that God has made, all of the good gifts that are in this world, they're meant to propel our hearts deeper into that love, into that life of serving and loving and praising God. As a modern translation of Ignatius puts it, we appreciate and use all of these good gifts of God insofar as they help us to develop as loving persons. But if any of these gifts becomes the center of our lives, 
They displace God and so hinder our growth toward our goal. And what is our goal? To find the life-giving, reality-redefining blessing that comes from praising and loving and serving God, from being aligned with God. So one week, or one evening, last week, as I was getting ready to go to sleep, I had been thinking about this passage and about the Ignatian things, that Ignatian text right there, all day long. I'd been asking myself the question, where is it that I am looking for blessings in this life? Where might God be trying to say to me, dude, you have to stop looking over there for what I'm trying to give you right here? And as I thought and I wrestled, all of a sudden, like a wave, God brought to mind relationships with family and with friends that I had been hoping would make me feel seen, safe, and wanted, that would give my life meaning and value. But for one reason or another, those relationships had failed. And as I laid there, tears began to flow. They were tears of both pain because of those relationships that had failed, the real hurt of broken relationships. They were tears of repentance and of joy, as in a moment I realized that the Lord is the source of the blessings that I have been scrambling to find, that I have been scheming and seizing and trying to lay a hold of. He is the fullness of what I was longing for. He is the fullness of what I so often pursue in family and in friends and in a career. And on and on I could go. And in that moment, as that wave crashed over me, all I could think to pray was, bless me, God. Lord, please bless me. It was a prayer of repentance. I was admitting to him, God, I've been looking in all the wrong places. I need you to bless me. It was a prayer of joy in knowing that what I was asking him to do was what he has longed to do my entire life, your entire life. That night, I was mercifully confronted by the living God. And so I ask you, where do you think God might be trying to confront you? Where might he be trying to meet you? God confronted Jacob, and then we read on that God wounded Jacob. Jacob, now renamed Israel, he paid for that name with a limp. He paid to be called the one who struggles with God. And are we surprised? He wrestled with the living God. Have we become too numb to the fact that when we come to church, when we pray, when we just go about our daily lives, we are in the presence of the living God. I love how Annie Dillard talks about coming to church on a Sunday. She says, it's madness to wear a lady's straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake up someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. The Lord longs to bless us. 
But do we want his blessing? Do we want it so desperately that we are willing to walk with a limp? To wrestle knowing that it may hurt, that we, never, we may never be the same? It is a mercy and it is a grace that he confronts us in the night. And it's a mercy and a grace that he wounds us and wrestles with us. Because he longs to bless us. Which is our final point. God blesses Jacob. It's the heart of God to bless us. It's the heart of God to keep us. To make his face shine upon us. To be gracious to us. And to give us peace. Like Jacob, this is going to often require a fight. A long fight in the night. It may mean wrestling with God in the most painful parts of our lives, in our unmet desires, in sickness and in death, in loss and in fear and in shame. It may require us to struggle with these things when all we want to do is turn away. It may mean asking God to take away those things that hold us back from him, that have taken the place of God in our hearts And so I ask, are we willing? Are we willing to wrestle with God? Are we willing to walk with a limp? Dare we to pray? Bless me. I want to conclude by praying again the collect for today. So bow your heads with me. Set us free, loving Father, from the bondage of our sins. And in your goodness, give us the liberty of, the abundant, of that abundant life which you have made known to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.